A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Getting my dad to say I love you. To say what? Say he loves it. Dad, this week's guest is none other than Ellis James. You know Ellis James now, do you, Dad? Well, I've read about him, yes. What did you find out? Uh, he speaks Welsh. He is Welsh. He's very keen on being Welsh. He was <laughs> born in Wales, went to university at Cardiff in Wales, uh, seemingly worked in Wales before he became a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Um, and... Um, his first um, comedy gig was in Welsh. I think at the they have this festival called uh, I, I never know quite how to pronounce it at Eisteddfod or something like that. Right. Um, but it's a Welsh speaking thing, and he's and he does comedy in Welsh. But um, he does. He's a big. He's a big proponent of the Welsh language. Very proud Welshman. But um, yes, it's an interesting thing. I mean, how many people actually speak Welsh is an interesting question. Um, let me let me go chat to Ellis. Oh, yeah, beforehand, I want to ask you this: What's your weird name? You call the toilet sometimes? Oh, the Welsh Embassy. Yeah. Why do you call it that? Is that an offensive name for it? I don't know. Really, it was a, <laughs> a, a, a um, it was a, a, an expression from my friend uh, Tim Laundon, who's a member of my club. And you've never questioned the etymology of it. I've never really asked him for the etymology, but it'd be interesting to know where he got it from. Find out and come back to me next time, or we'll find out if it's offensive. Yeah, no, I'll but find out where, where the Welsh Embassy comes from. In the meantime, let me go chat to Ellis. I'll see you later. All right, I love you. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> All right, we've got a good friend of mine, uh, Ellis James, on the podcast. How are you, mate? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Before... What I always like to kick off with before we just get into small talky stuff is just have both your parents said I love you before. Yes. Oh, yeah. To you. Yeah. Um, My, yeah. They said it out loud because that's what I I had to think about it. This is where the podcast came from in the pandemic. I was like, well, I know my dad does, but I don't know if he's actually said the phrase to me, I love you because of, you know, various I know my dad does um but has he said it <laughs> he must have I mean he must have done <laughs> I'd never thought of this and I that's that's really weird because I know he does and it's never been in doubt and I've never got I've never had any issues around this and I've never it's not the reason I do what I do and it's not the thing that drives me but I can't he must have done. But it's <laughs> it's not like every time I ring him up, he says, I love you. Yeah. Whereas I say it to my kids all the time. Um, God, that's weird. Because my parents were affectionate. 
um, certainly for the for the time, because uh, I, I grew up in the in the eighteen eighties. That's what a lot of people don't realise. But I'm actually one hundred and forty one. You I mean sometimes you do reference stuff that makes me think that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think I'm too interested in the eighteen eighties, and people think I am over a century older than I actually am. But um, <laughs> the ghost of Ellis James. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he was. Uh, my parents were sort of physically affectionate, but I, I don't think they say it as much as I say it to my kids. I often tell my uh, daughter that she's my number one G um, for yep. meeting a girl rather than sort of gangster. And I sort of wrap it, and then I might chuck in a couple of I loves you, and she loves that. Uh, and I say that to my son, and she's <laughs> three. Doesn't mean anything to him, he doesn't care. But. What an, that's, that's quite a fascinating question, actually. It is, is that- because I, yeah, this came about, this is the second series now, but it came about in lockdown because I was chatting to some, I d- I'm sure you were doing all the Zoom, like trying to keep yourself sane, even though oh, yeah. now I look back at some of the Zoom stuff we didn't thought was kind of insane, but we were we were all talking, me and some come, come of other creators, like writers out here, and, and then me and this my friend Tim were like laughing about it. I don't think my dad is, and I, but I'm the same. I know he does. He loves, he he's just shows it in a different way. It's from a different generation. His mum and dad would have the broadsheet newspapers open and then just nod at him in the morning. So he, he's not used to doing it. And then I was like to him, just say it. And he was like, well, I don't want to say it. it just, it's, like, <laughs> it's too like mawkish or, or something. It's the weird or, or a guard being let down, but there's different there's different love languages I, I'm aware of that and so it's good to know that your parents still showed it in other ways used but it's to funny say, that well they didn't done say, they don't say yeah exactly that's a dad used to ways. say well done I'm proud of you that's really good so I felt encouraged mm-hmm. um, there were definitely friends of mine at school whose parents didn't encourage them at all and they I think there were mates of mine at school whose parents thought that good parenting was to be effectively silent from the age of zero to eighteen <laughs> then you would leave no. home with with their blessing. Yeah. <laughs> um but no like my my parents after do your do your parents come to your gigs? My my mum never came to one for so long and then eventually she watched me at the Tabard in Chiswick. You ever do that preview gig? Yeah, which is I think worst. is hard. I think that's it's quite one of big... the worst gigs and just it's even though I used to work in that pub because it's where I'm, I grew up. And I just had such a shit gig. And yeah, I've never had a good time there in my life. And I think she was like, was like I've been doing it for a few years. She was like, Chris has lost his way. Yeah. And Chris then has lost and, it. He's and my dad, my, my dad's, yeah, exactly. He's gone. He's gone in the head. He's gone. Um, he should give up now. My dad has, always, I always, I've talked about him quite a lot on stage, less so my mum. And then weirdly, my dad's always like he he talks about he talk, he used to go do a boot camp in Chiswick, and he kept talking well, to Al, yeah he kept talking to Al Murray the pub landlord Al Murray about me as a comedian in that sort of proud dad way yeah so yeah yeah that. but um and then my mum the, the last time she watched me was in London and she watched me a couple of times since I do like better gigs uh, but I did a different preview I think it was a preview and she didn't laugh for any of it apart from the two minutes where I talked about her. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Izzy, my partner, her parents came to to a show of mine in Edinburgh, which was by a distance the worst gig of my life. Oh, Because I had a stag to win from Glasgow who decided to just ruin it. And I was in a little room 
in Edinburgh called The Attic, and it holds 55. And um, the gig started at 8 o'clock, and my so door person, she said to me, she said, listen, we've only sold 40 tickets, but I've just had a, a, a call up from the box office. A group of 15 want to see you. Was that, are you fine with that? I was like, of course it is. Yeah. It's Saturday night. That sounds like a great idea. And they were a stag do. And um, I got off to a very, very bad start because they just hated me. And I think they decided that they were going to try and make it difficult. And, Isn't um, that just a funny industry that we're in? I got off yeah. to a bad start because a group of strangers <laughs> decided they hated me yeah. just by my appearance and tone. It was it was bad. And um, I remember after about uh, 10 minutes, the guy went, hey, I'm off to watch your football. Fuck this. No way. I'm off to watch your football, man. So he left. And I said, but what football? Because I said... Celtic are playing tomorrow and Rangers played last night. There's no SPL tonight. He went, oh, there's German football on in the pub. I'm going to watch a German football, man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And I thought, well, at and least that's he's when the, And that's when the Bundesliga wasn't as, uh, yeah. as kind of hipster and cool as it is now. But I thought, at least he's gone. <laughs> and then he came back in about a quarter of an hour later and he went, right, Weber Bremen won, Hamburg nil, Borussia Dortmund won, by Leverkusen nil, Bayern Munich won, Schalke won. <laughs> And he read out all the, he read out all the results as, as it was happening. And I just had to let him do it. And he went, football shite, you're shite, but I paid for this. So I'm going to come back and watch this. Oh, no. And then he Why sat down and continued to heckle. Why did the door person let him back in? And because um, the, the girl I'd work in the door was an 18-year-old uh, Spanish yeah. student on a gap year. Oh, God. And obviously it's not her job to stop some... 40-year-old Glaswegian <laughs> human t- human teletext. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Izzy's mum and dad were there. And her auntie. And they just watched in silence as oh. I as I lost control. <laughs> oh no. Cool. And then um at the end of the show, my mum and dad were there as well. And their friends. Oh, you had double double parents. I had double parent and my uh my my mum and dad's friends. Brian and Anne from Croydon had come up and I'd never met them because they'd worked with my dad before I was born. And they came up and uh, that was bad. And then one of the one of the stags who come up to me and apologised. He said, sorry, man, we just chosen the name at random. I thought, well, really, fuck this guy. He's gag up, you know, thought it'd be great. And I said, well, it wasn't great, was it? Oh. That, that that was really hard. Brian and Anne are here. <laughs> <laughs> Until two minutes ago, I didn't know Brian and Anne were. Now I now I found out that they they work with my father <laughs> after he, a year after he got married before I was born, and I said some things I regret and uh, yeah, I, did, I, I used some big words, <laughs> some of the rudest words, and then he got angry with me, and I thought, how are you angry with me at this stage? What did they say after? What did what did the parents say after that? My mum incredibly said, "Well done." <laughs> and I said, Mum, I said, are you having a fucking Not laugh? now, Mum. Not, <laughs> Not now. Not now. <laughs> Dad said, do you want to have another chat with Brian and Anne? I said, of course I don't want to talk to fucking Brian and Anne. Oh, that's the worst. That's actually worse than a parent watching you have a shit gig. It's a friend of a parent who... Yeah. Because you know the parents have probably been like, oh, my son's doing pretty well, he's good. And then they yeah. come and, and then they have to be like, ooh, you're brave. <laughs> brave yeah, for doing yeah. that whilst having very little ability is what they're and then, uh, And then I had to go and chat to Izzy's parents and say, yeah, that's that's my job. 
Oh, God. God, I love your daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, I'm really nice and courteous and I'm very good at listening. So there's, I've got that yeah. going for me. <laughs> so <laughs> let's drill in a little bit on your on your parents then. So your, your, your mum's well done. So from a young age, you said encouraging. Were you... Yeah. Did you? What? How old are you when you started doing this? I'm trying to think. Oh, you I started doing stand-up. Yeah, I was 24. All right, and um, I didn't go full time until I was a, a 28. Well, about a month before my 28th birthday. So I'd had, I'd had like real jobs for. Yeah, how were your so parents about? Like, what? What was? Yeah, what? You finished school and obviously, oh, here's the thing I, I keep saying about everyone is this industry, whether it's comedy, writing, whatever, you've got to have, there's kind of two things that I think are, are common is like a fearlessness and, a, and a, a fearlessness and a work ethic, right? So I feel like you, you've, you had them in you, even if you didn't go straight into it. What, what, were they're encouraging you? Did you come out of school going, I want to do this, that, and the other? And they're like, go for it. Or they like, do what you love? Or, yeah. What? My mum was a careers officer in a university. So she helped students who were graduating get jobs. Right. Like graduate jobs. That was her job. And she had, she'd also been a careers officer in secondary schools. She was, she was never my careers officer, but that was her job. And she loved it. And she loved finding work for, youngsters that was she she like my mum didn't retire till she was 65 and she loved work until the day she finished mm -hmm. so she'd always drilled into us that we should do what we were happy doing what we wanted to do so my sister's one sister's a pharmacist and the other sister is uh she was a midwife and is now a nurse like a sort of health visitor and that was that was great because they that they excelled at that mm -hmm. whereas with me um, I think I had vague ideas of either being a musician or maybe writing about music, like for, a, for the enemy or something. That was kind of something maybe I wanted to do because I actually knew, I knew someone in a, in a proper band. So it kind of felt achievable. And I had met the odd music journalist when I was at university and that was their job. So that kind of felt achievable. And with comedy, I'd never met a comedian. I'd never met anyone who was involved in the comedy industry in any way. So even though comedy was the thing I wanted to do, it felt completely closed off, like this weird closed shop of people who tended to have gone to Oxford or Cambridge, usually Cambridge, actually, because of the footlights and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'd never been to the Edinburgh Festival. So even though I loved comedy and I used to tape it off the TV and I used to analyse it with my friends... And just lap it up, read anything I could about comedy. It it it, it seemed as unlikely as if I'd wanted to be a model, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> or a surfer, or something like just something completely out of my reach. Um, and then and then an open mic night started in a place I used to go and drink in, and I thought, oh, hang on, this is interesting. And they were, they were asking for open mic comedians and a few of my friends said, you should do that. And then once you do that first open mic thing, you meet mm -hmm. other open mic comedians who, who've usually been going in a little bit longer than you. And they say, well, actually, there's a gig in every town. And if you become successful, it can be your job, which was a world I had absolutely I'd had no experience of. And I was talking to my mum about this quite recently. She said that 
after a couple of years, when I still earned very little money from comedy and I was backstage working in a cafe and working in a pub and I was working in the cloakroom of a nightclub and that kind of stuff. Apparently, I was always... She remembers me being quite positive in that, oh, I'm driving to Bristol tomorrow and I'm going to earn £30. Yeah. Pounds. As long as I do that every night for the rest of my life, I'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, they were always very encouraging. I think because I'd... I was quite unhappy doing real work. I had, I did office jobs and I was very bad yeah. at them. I don't have any of the skills necessarily. What were the real jobs you did then? You worked in a pub, I once, obviously. Do you know what? Once, I, um, when I came out of school and my, before I went to university, a teacher really liked me, this history teacher. And she was like, oh, a friend of mine runs a PR company. Do you want to work there like two days a week? Oh, wow. All I remember is I went for so many shits just to not be in the office. I would yeah, literally, yeah, yeah. I would just be like, I'm going to go to the, I, I literally was not, my brain from but you're talking that thing of like not wanting a real job is it feels like it's not the reason I did comedies because I was obsessed with it when I was a teenager but I always remember because my, my dad hated his job and he just said to me every day never be a lawyer never be a yeah, lawyer. Yeah. whatever you do don't be a lawyer so I was like and I remember people at school and they're like oh what you know I'm like all I was wanted to do is not I wanted to have a fun job to something I was yeah, like, yeah. excited by so that pushed me, like I did a bit of that, and then I worked in Gap, the clothes store Gap, for a bit. And then I was a bit, I was a PE teacher momentarily. At Were my you? Old, at my old school, when I, I basically finished university and was like, I, it's that, talking of that, like, if I'm doing, there's something really exciting when you start comedy, isn't it? Because you're going, good, if I keep, you're, you, something about moving forward is very exciting. So I was yeah. like, well, if I, if I work in the day at my old school, and I do this. It was like not even. It was like even PE assistant. I was putting cones down. Yeah. <laughs> Someone else was telling them to run through them. I was putting them down. But then I was like, if I just do this for a year and then do stand up and then I can I can just about make it work. And then it did. And then you know. I have to say to any of your listeners, Chris is one of the most naturally gifted comedian footballers I've ever had the pleasure of playing. <laughs> uh, and I love playing football, but I'm going to use this word. The word I'm going to use is poise. So- <laughs> Such poise on Delighted, the ball, mate. Delighted. Lovely you first touch. You've always got more time than the other players in midfield. Oh, mate, you're uh, miss. And you're picking a pass. You very love, really give the ball away. I love to part. That's the one. The one thing I always find funny about comedians football. This is a tangent, but if people care, they'll they'll listen. Um, it's so funny, like a lot of the most successful comedians in the country are the most selfish fucking com- football players. They never pass, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas I, and this is not me to, da- to damn myself, I love I love assisting. I love I love putting that ball on a plate <laughs> a for someone. You've always I been a great collaborator. I've been a collaborator, mate. I love putting it on a, I love putting it on a plate. I love playing the way I'm <laughs> facing. I love, I love keeping things simple. <laughs> <laughs> the word I'm going to use is perlo. Oh, mate, I'll take that all day long. I'll take it all day but, long. Uh, That's but, more important to me than performing a sold-out run at the Apollo, is well, you un- calling until I uh, Until I hurt my knee, and I, I now can't play football, um, for, well, certainly not at the moment, fingers crossed it'll get better. I was playing twice a week, and I was playing with Rob Beckett on a Sunday night with the parents at his, at his kids' school. Mm-hmm. And the first time... I played with them. I turned up a bit early and I said, what are they like, Rob? And he said, the standard is very similar to comedians football. Okay. Um, but just imagine uh, if people passed because comedians are selfish by nature. And we're like, it's how um, public school boys used to play in the sort of 1880s. It's um, it's just head down and dribbling. Yeah, there's, um, 
I'm not going to name the comedian, but there's one comedian that I found out from another. Uh, oh, I can name check the person. Who's like Milton Jones, who's very good, told me there's another yeah. comedian who would only count having fun at comedians football if he scored a goal. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he would be like, I scored today. It was fun. Um, but yes, <laughs> we have diverged a bit, but I like that. I'll take that. I'll enjoy so, that. How did you get a job putting corns out as a P, P teacher's Can assistant? We, this is, this is the problem with chatting to just such an accomplished broadcaster. You've somehow turned my podcast interviewing you into you interviewing I'm just, me. I'm just fast. I just... Uh, I'm I basically, I will talk. Let's talk about that that kind of the work ethic thing, and we can we can somehow bring this back around. Which is, I was like, well, I want, I don't want to have a nine to five or a nine to, because then I, if I have to do a gig that's two hours drive away or three hours drive, that's going to be hard. Yeah, cool. Whereas if this thing was more like, was it eight to three or something? Yeah, yeah. Then I was like, well, I can do that, and I could make it work. So it was all I about facilities. I can get to Leeds for fifty I'll, quid. I'll be wearing a, shorts and a vest. <laughs> I'll be I'll be very easy to spot. I'll be in high vis. <laughs> Half the audience put on these bibs. I'll, I'll, Split you guys into teams. On my left side, you'll be wearing the orange bibs. Cheer up. The right I'll side. A, I'll have a big whistle around my neck. <laughs> oh, great, oh. great way of getting people's attention. If, uh, Got, yeah, people you get heckled. Listening. You just whistle. Oi, yeah. oi, oi. It's your own time you're wasting. Um, but yeah, so that's what I was doing in the day. But no, let's go back to you. Let's bring it back to the premise of the podcast, even though this is more fun to me sometimes. But your mum, so she was like, she could tell you happy. What's your What's your dad? What did your dad do? And what's his reaction to your dad? sort of... This is, this is not meant to be... But before you did comedy, it sounded like you were... This is the harshest word that's come to my head, but I mean it in a nice way. A bit aimless in what you were doing. Oh, drifting. A drifting. Um, my dad was a quantity surveyor. Right. And my mates growing up loved my dad. He was more fun than me. He was funny than oh, me. That's my dad as well, mate. He was Does he drink laugh. a big drinker? Um, not really, but he... I mean, people used to knock on my door and ask if my dad was coming out to play. Right. And I would say, I can come out to play. And they'd go, yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So we we had this we had this great scenario growing up with a our primary school teacher didn't think that homework was good for kids. So we once we finished school up us three, it was done. So you know we had a I had a nice back garden. So we used to play football in the back garden. My dad certainly the weekends as well would um, he'd be like refing games and stuff. Really really enthusiastic, and he was a real he was you know he's a real laugh, my old man. And I think that I imagine that it's difficult to be a laugh if you're a quantity sphere. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And that's what he did. He did that for you know forty years or something. Yeah. So certainly thirty-five years. And so I think when I said I want to be a comedian, I think he thought brilliant. Just go oh, for nice. it. And there are absolutely friends of mine whose parents didn't encourage them and wanted them to do something very safe. But I must admit, I can't, I've got, there are no sob stories for me on that, in that regard. Um, and also, I think I was unhappy working in offices. I did a lot of data entry and I did a lot of temping and stuff. Mm -hmm. And because um, I didn't want to live with my mum and dad because they live in a small town. So I remember thinking, you know, even though I got, I get on with them, I don't want to move back because there's nothing, you know, it, it, 
I, I would find it hard to move on, I think. So I sort of, I did loads of data entry and office work and had a bit of a fright because I'd enjoyed university and I liked my course, but I didn't want to take it any further. And I remember once when I was doing data entry, I remember I was queuing up in a in a post office to get like road tax or something on my lunch break. And I was the queue was so big, I thought I'm not going to have time to eat now. But I've got to get the road tax. And then I remember thinking, I'm 23. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> is, this, is this it now? I know. And I'd had such fun at university and I had such fun at school. I remember thinking, fuck, is this, is this it? Oh, shit. And um, so I would do anything. I would go anywhere and I would go to the north of England. I would go to Scotland for an open spot, Cornwall, mm. London, Essex. It did not bother me at all. So I ended up in one office job that had flexi time. So I was able to leave early and it meant that I would take anything. And every single gig felt like a step in the right direction, even if it wasn't. And yeah. every single gig felt important and... I didn't go to people's birthday parties and I didn't, you know, go to people's social events and stuff. And because, I mean, awfully, if it was your birthday or I was offered a gig that was 10 quid oh, yeah. in South End, which is a sort of eight hour round trip, I would have I would have done the gig. Yeah. Because after four or five years, I remember thinking, shit, I need to make this work because if I don't make it work, I've got nothing else really. And I, I've got a history, history and politics degree but I knew I wasn't cut out for teaching and I did an MA because I really, I really loved history and I realized during my MA that I was just too thick to be a historian. <laughs> I was sort of good enough to get to that level, but I thought the proper historians and also they are, as much as I liked it, they are obsessive people because you can't write 200,000 words on, um, I don't know, whatever, the minor strike, without being mm. obsessed with the minor strike. And I knew I, I wasn't into it that much. So it was kind of, I was it was plan A or make plan A work because there is no plan B. But do you so think I, like, yeah, yeah but I, I, I like the fact that you got from your dad there that like, you could tell there's something probably subconscious or not where you, he's the fun guy and you see, so in terms of comedy, you become, that's something very romantically interesting about becoming being funny or fun and people enjoy being in your company that yeah, must have been and, a thing and it, it it had always been the way I communicated so mm -hmm. if I was meeting new people when I was working in a new job or when I went to uni or when I you know when if, if I was ever in a situation where I was meeting people for the first time I would try and make them laugh oh, and it's the way. I don't know if and, and my mates tended to be like this so I thought that that was how everyone communicated. I know. It's so and funny. Have you ever met a group of people where they're not like that funny? It's so weird. It's, it's so, so it's, weird. It, I, I'm like, it's or so either, either they act like you're insane or they find you so funny. That yeah. It's like, it's quite, <laughs> it's quite worrying. You're like, yeah. right, just, can you just call me an arsehole? Because I'm not, I'm not really used to yeah, this level my, of effusiveness. My friends from school were all like that. Yeah. And one of them, my friend Sean, went on to be a, a comedy writer. She wrote, um, the sitcom Man Down with Craig Davis and she wrote a sitcom called Tourist Trap and she was exactly the same and all my friends, even the ones who didn't go into comedy, did that and 
It's only when you meet really serious people mm. they think, God, this is this is shit. <laughs> This is so shit. I know. It's like, yeah, what is life about if you can't, like, laugh? Like, it's it's nothing about laughter to me anyway. But, you know. So, yeah, it was... um, (laughs) So I would... And also, I I think the reason I'm quite happy is that you'll know these people. There are some comedians, their aim is to be the best comedian in the world. Mm-hmm. I once I once shared a green room with someone. <laughs> and um, we were just talking about our ambitions. I'd said there must have been a TV show I'd like to, and I said, I wouldn't mind giving that a go. And then I asked the question, what are your ambitions? And he said, I want to be the greatest comedian of all time. <laughs> of all time? It's a, bold, it's a bold one. So you've got Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, Charlie <laughs> Chaplin... Richard Pryor, Morecambe Wise. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought the greatest comedian of all time. Oh, funny. But that was his ambition. And um, the reason I'm quite happy is that my ambition was to for it to be my job. Yeah, that's a big... Not having a real job continually is... It's a hard one because you want to have these hopes and dreams and you want to progress, but... And you, you, sometimes you've got to take a step back and go, this is fun. I, this is my living. Yeah. We, I'm currently in the middle of buying a house. And last night we were up, um, Izzy and I were up late signing all these documents and reading all this stuff. Almost none of it I, is some stuff I understand. And the mad thing about buying a house is for about three months you're expected to be a solicitor and, and say, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, we'll do that in perpetuity. That that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and I've signed stuff which I've barely finished reading and all this kind of thing. And I still... I thought, I remember thinking to myself last night, I'm 41, I should... This is the stuff that you thrive should, on when you're 41. You should, should know it. You should know it. I should yeah. be into this. And I think I probably have quite a childlike ambition to sort of have fun all the time. And I occasionally worry that this is a bad example I'm setting to my kids because I do have fun most of the time. I love my job. And I regard myself as tremendously lucky. And I know that I'm lucky, which is why I would say I'm quite grateful because I've done lots of stuff I didn't enjoy. And that's hard because, you know, people say um, life's too short. If you're, if you really hate your job, life is too long, because <laughs> it's a long old day. Yeah. And, um, but I think I just think I'm lucky, so I would I I would hope my kids understand. But you're not that, that you, you're lucky to. I mean, there's obviously there is luck in this field, but when you talked about missing birthdays and all that to go to somewhere for ten quid or whatever, that all that that's a work ethic thing that comes into it. Yeah, and then there's a fearlessness as well. That, that's what was interesting to me as well when you said, "If this doesn't, if this, I've, I have to make this work." Is that like uh, you? That work ethic is like. I know you said your dad's fun. Did you? Yeah, you're. I guess that's like. It sounds like it's kind of a little bit linked to your mum. She was like, she loved her job so much, and yeah. she got so much out of it. So you're probably watching that and going, "If I can love a thing, I could. Uh, that's keep doing it because that's a I'm, special thing." And my old man worked very, very long hours. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I've am i been working down a coal mine or anything, 
but don't worry mate it's fine I did. I live I in did, LA, um, mate. Just dial it up a notch. Dial up, <laughs> dial, big I, yourself up. I did. Uh, I did think. Okay, well, if if this is going to work, then you obviously you, you need to gig as much as you can. Otherwise, it's not going to work, and you're not going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'd realised it was something that I could do, because I think I didn't have a bad gig probably until gig number four or five, and then when it was really bad. I thought, okay, one out of five, that's a ratio I can handle. Yeah. And once you have died on your ass and been made to look really, really stupid in front of a bunch of strangers, you realise, well, no one's died. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend hasn't left me. And my parents still love me. So it's not that bad. And I think that, um, you know, there were, there were plenty of comics I knew who were more talented than me when I started out who when they did have bad gigs, it would affect them so badly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I was lucky in that I had a, a relatively thick skin. Oh, I, like I, I had some absolute shockers. Bloody hell, I did one in Bristol. Bristol Jonglers, did you ever do that? Mm, yes, I did, yes, for my sins. O- August the 9th and 10th, 2013, which was the last time I, I worked for Jonglers. <laughs> I was probably the least funny person in Europe that night. (laughs) (laughs) There wouldn't have been a a comic on the continent having a worse gig than me. I was, they absolutely, I only lasted about 10 or 11 minutes. And and I I just walked off. I was like, this is is going nowhere. That's so funny. And I remember when you have to to go off early. Yeah, I remember trying to lick my lips. Because my mouth had gone dry and I couldn't do a full circuit of my lips because my tongue was so dry because I was so nervous. I couldn't arid. lick all the way you, around. You had the most arid mouth in Europe <laughs> that night. And, uh, <laughs> and my, I remember my shirt was sticking to my back. And um, just and it, it wasn't even heckling. Heckling, I would have been able to at least blame on them. It was abject silence. It was a sort of angry, seething oh, apathy. Oh... Uh, Yes, yeah, so uh, but again, I remember. I remember getting the train home, and thinking that was on the Friday night. Thinking I'll be absolutely astonished if they rebook me for tomorrow. I'm going to get a phone call tomorrow yeah. morning, saying you're not good enough. Thanks, but no thanks. Um, yeah, we'll be in touch, and then they won't be in touch. And they didn't. They didn't get in touch. And then I remember turning up at the venue, assuming I was going to be sent home, and the manager went, "Hi, El." I thought, "Oh, they don't give a shit." Yeah. And the Saturday was better. So the Saturday I sort of got away with it. But I had some that. moisture in my mouth at the end of the <laughs> yeah, set, which was the, which was the I, new bar for having a good gig in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I could lick my lips. I was able to lick my lips. It was a, I, had, I, I had a lick licking I had a lip licking gig. Yeah, you brought a chapstick with you <laughs> case, um, as a backup. Um, I was able to lick my lips. That's how funny I was on the Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Did he blow the roof off? No, but I moistened my lips. <laughs> no, so. but... Oh, check that out. <laughs> Does that sound like a bag? Yeah. Come here, son. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do you know what I was thinking about? I don't know why I woke up this morning and I had this real urge to tell you you're a catalyst of a human. I don't know why. This is not. I wanted to tell you when you walk in a room, you just energize it as, a, as oh, just your personality. That's a, that's a very kind thing to say. I, just, I suddenly thought about that because I haven't. Um, we went. Uh, we did shows in New Zealand together. And yeah, I just always loved just having uh, drinks or food with you. But, that was um, good fun. That, but yeah, that's that, that, that. Yeah, that sounds a bit like yeah something you've kind of had passed down to you from your dad. But you like to talk about all the the self deprecating stuff, which you know I love as well as a Brit and uh, out in America they're not so into that. But well, I got told right oh, by tell me. a big producer. Um. We were putting an idea together. They didn't go anywhere in the end, but we got it in front of a commissioner. It's a few years ago. And um, he's, 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 he was quite a big dog, this bloke. He worked for a big company. And he said to me before, before we met the commissioner, we were about to go into the office. And he said, listen, uh, the self-deprecating stuff, I, I love that. Really funny. Great. Um, in a situation like this, it would be damaging. <laughs> yes, sure, it's true. Remember, you want them to think you're good. And I was yeah, like, right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. in their high, yeah. yeah. Really, uh, yeah. really good, you'd funny be, guy. You, you'd you be crazy to say no to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if it came off as really inauthentic, yeah. you, are you mad? Because yeah. <laughs> you would be mad if you didn't give me 10 series straight off the bat. <laughs> yeah. Um, which no one had ever said that to me before. So, yeah. That's so. It's true in those circumstances. That needs to be well. Th- then, so that's what I want to talk about. Is your when you get a win because you've had a, you I don't know you, you knowing you, you present class them as wins, but when you have like good news in the world of Ellis James, do you tell your parents? Do you want to? Do you do you, are you excited to tell them like you uh, when you sell out a big venue through your podcast or your. Yeah, you've had. To, you've got too many successes. I, I'm not I, gonna I do one. tell my mum and dad. I yeah, tell my good. mum. For, I tell them for different reasons, actually. So I tell my mum because she's sort of she just she's proud of me, which is which is very nice and lovely and something I really appreciate. My dad, my old man, um, I tell him because. Like a lot of dads, he's concerned that I'm not going to earn enough money. Yeah, that's 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 the thing. That is a common. So thing. I do you tell him the um the the money post post tax earnings from each? I would I would never win. ever tell my mum 
my fees for anything because she's not interested. But like when I used to do circuit gigs, my favourite circuit gig was the Cardiff Glee Club, which was 200 yeah. quid. Yeah. And this is a great way of how dads think. So um, my dad came into the dressing room, actually. <laughs> he came into the dressing room, and this was back in the days when they still used to pay you in cash. So they used to pay you on, used to do the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they used to pay you on the Saturday. So um, Kai paid me by giving me 600 quid in cash from under his hat, right? <laughs> Lovely little touch. Yeah. And my dad saw this, and then I put it in my pocket, and he went, how much was that then? And I said, that was, I, you, I said you get £200 for the Thursday, and you obviously do three gigs for 600 quid in total. £200? For how long? 20 minutes. Right. £200 for 20 minutes. So £600 an hour. Uh, yeah. Yes, I suppose. So if, <laughs> uh, so if you were a sister or accountant, that would be your hourly rate would be 600 quid. Uh, yes. So if you could do gigs, nine until five. <laughs> <laughs> Monday to Friday. And he was working out what I would earn if I was able to do stand-up at, like, 9am on a Tuesday morning. Oh, brilliant. Like, my pro-rata rate. And I was like, well, yes, you're sort of right, but those those gigs don't exist, do they? There are, there are no. No. Hap, you know, half-past ten on a Wednesday morning stand-up <laughs> shows, unfortunately. Um, Just in morning break at a school. And that's the kind of thing he'd he would sort of hone in on that then. Yeah. And he'd want to talk to me about uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a very... My dad's... A, how much? How much of that? How much? It's always the first question. Even, yeah. the, even if he's supportive of the, of the endeavour and the fact you're chasing your dreams. And, like... and he would always compare it to something from his world. Okay. So he'd say, well, uh, my friend Dennis, he's a builder's merchant. And I know that if he sells X amount of concrete, then he makes... And you're like, yeah... Completely irrelevant to what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> your, your friend Dennis selling uh, Dennis. a lot of concrete. <laughs> <laughs> but what does Dennis is that is selling concrete as profitable as, as stand up? <laughs> <laughs> if he sells, <laughs> I think I think Dennis okay. used to sell a lot of concrete. A lot of concrete, mate. I didn't know you could get two hundred quid. For yeah, he, he, he works for a concrete products company, and he earns blah 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 blah. And my friend—that's yeah. such a dad thing, though. Just to well, I mean, that's a human, a human trait, isn't it? Just to how do I relate this to my world? And the funniest relation to his world is concrete yeah. uh, retail. <laughs> yeah, he's got. He, he what he does is he hires out power washers. And he hires out these power washers, and they're thirty pound an hour. Blah blah blah. blah. So he clear eight pound per power washers profit straight from into his pocket. No, no, not insurance, no snap, no tax. So how many power washers did you sell? At, uh, I, uh, I don't know. So when you, but when you uh, like, so he he, it's a, money's the thing you'll tell him when you get uh, when you. When you, I guess, when you, you've got like, what if you got your radio? You got your, I mean, podcast. Your podcasts are very popular. Your, your new ones are. Do you, do you and John still do a pod? Do you do a radio show? Yes, we do a radio show that which is has a, a contract and a salary yeah. attached, which you can explain yeah, to your yeah. dad. Explain to your dad. Um, your podcast popularity must be more tricky because it's a bit more irregular. Right? Yeah, it's. Um, I think with the podcast, the podcast is interesting because that's now the main thing I do. Do you do much live stand-up anymore? No, no. I I wrote a show in Welsh. I've written three of them. So I wrote one in 2015, 2017, and 2019. Yeah. So 2019 was the last time I did stand-up. I've done live stuff with John and with... I did a, 
another podcast I do called Associated Distance Sports, but we did a tour where we did the podcast live. Yeah. But I've not done sort of just me and a microphone stand. Yeah, what is that? Why is that? I'm curious. Because I've gone through my little phases recently of Uh, doing other things that I'm enjoying, so kind of not necessarily being like needed i need to get up there man i need to pound the boards there's a lot of people out here I, like the pandemic were just like I'll, I, I don't care if i die of covid i just need to tell people about <laughs> my week yeah um i saw some really amazing stuff that was funnier than me and also it was kind of more important so i remember I've, for instance i saw bridget christie's show a big for her oh, yeah I thought, fuck, that is funnier than anything I've ever done by a mile. And also it's about an issue that's really important. And so I'm less funny than her. And none of the stuff I talk about is important in any way. <laughs> Shit. And I I think what, what happened a little bit was I, I did Edinburgh 08, 9, 10, 11 and 12. So I thought I'll have 13 off. Because I deserve, I, I, I didn't have any good ideas, and I thought I'll just yeah. have the summer off and see what happens. And then in 2014, I was in a sitcom, so I wasn't able to write a show. And then we had a baby, so 2015, I didn't want to go up because of the baby, because I didn't want to be away for a month. And then 2015, I was 16. Then I was, it was the Euros. Wales were in the Euro, first tournament for 60 years, so I didn't want to be, I didn't want to miss that. And that was happening at the time when I'd be previewing. There's a difference here between your dedication to stand-up from when you started. You were giving up birthdays and then you're yeah. like, the Euros are on though. I know well, it's Wales, but it was, it's, <laughs> it's it was that weird. It was that weird thing where also I was able to work over there. Yeah, that's true. So I, I, I worked at the Euros and obviously I went to the games and that was undoubtedly the best month of my life. And also my daughter was still only two. So, well, she'd have been two in the October. So I just, and then I, and then what I realized was I wasn't enjoying stand up at all because I wasn't doing new stuff. Yeah. So then I just stopped enjoying the circuit because all of the stuff by that stage, apart from a couple of minutes here and there, a couple of jokes here and there, would have been like two years old. I was, I just found it quite an unpleasant experience, sort of trotting out my greatest hits. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and I thought that I didn't like stand up. I thought that's what it was. And then, because Welsh is my first language, so I've just dropped my pen because I was making a point. I was forcefully making that's a right. point. So Welsh is my first language. So I will see the Welsh TV channel. Said, would you want to write a stand up in Welsh? Uh, a stand up show in Welsh? I said yes. So I thought I did a little tour to build it up, and then I recorded it, and I loved every second of it. I th- I realised ah, the thing. I actually like is writing new material, not performing it. That's the thing that really excites me is actually writing a new show. So that scratched that itch. And then I wrote another one two years later. And I wrote another one two years later. So I haven't written a show since 2019. And then partly because it's my first language and partly because I found a funnier comedic voice and comic angle. I find writing stand-up in Welsh now easier than in English. Well, actually, it, weirdly, you, my dad had done some research on you and you're, you're kind of answering it now. But Paul, have you got the question that my dad has specifically for Ellis? Because it's funny that you kind of transitioned into this. Yes, I have. Uh, the question to him is, does his comedy translate well into Welsh? Does it translate well into Welsh? My dad, he'd looked you up and he wanted to know. 
it, um, ever read? No. So when I first got asked to write that show in 2015, my first thought was, oh, great, I'll just I'll just translate a lot of English stuff. and It'll take about an hour and then I'll just perform it. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, and then I realized, I gave it a go once and realized it didn't work for a variety of reasons. And then you think, okay, well, if you spoke Welsh at home and you spoke Welsh at school and with your friends, and obviously there's there's a different cultural background, I thought, well, I, I should probably write some stuff about that because there's loads of stuff from my childhood, for instance, that I was never able to do in English because people didn't get the references. But I'll, I'll have an audience in front of me who do get the references. So it's a, it's, a, it's a bit like going back and having a second go at your first show. It's quite an interesting yeah. position to be in. And I just, I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but Wales is a small country and there aren't enough towns to do like big tours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're going on telly having done like 16 previews because there just aren't enough, there just aren't enough towns big enough for you to do lots of shows. So I, with each tour, it gets bigger. And I realised I could do shows in London because there are enough Welsh speakers here. And I did a show in Edinburgh last time because there are enough Welsh speakers in Scotland. People come over from Glasgow and stuff. And I next time I'll probably do them in Bristol and Liverpool, because there are definitely enough Welsh speakers in Liverpool. And I realised as well, I had a, a slightly bigger audience than I'd expected. So I would I did three nights in London. I think I could probably do more. And I, I did five nights in Cardiff in a little room, just because you're trying to practice yeah. and run it, and, and it's a work in progress. And what I realised was my old stuff in English stopped working because it was it had been written in a completely different time of my life. Yeah. Whereas so now it it look it appears really dishonest and inauthentic. And in Welsh I've kind of got three different ways to attack the joke because my grandmother didn't speak very much English. My parents obviously do speak English but are Welsh other than sort of I've got a Welsher life than me because I live in London. And obviously my mm-hmm. kids live in London. So you've got kind of four generations or in four different angles to attack the same thing. So it just meant that I found writing routines and coming up with punchlines more easy. So I've, I'm doing a new hour for the first time in May. So I'm working on that at the moment. Um, but Izzy, after a long gap, has gone back to stand-up. So she's got a gig tonight. And because she didn't do it for about eight or nine years, when she went back to doing it, her enthusiasm was like an open spot. She, oh, she would yeah, come yeah, back yeah. from gigs wide-eyed. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like, oh, my God. And then I see how much she's enjoying it. I think I probably should write um, a new 20 in English so I can I know. do it. Because I miss comics and I miss being in... I know, I miss... I, I relate, though, a lot to what you said about the... The exciting bit is the new stuff. Yeah, some yeah, people, absolutely. some people love, and that's nothing—not a slight on them. I actually kind of imp- people love just crushing, as they say, with like stuff you know is amazing. And yeah. Just like I don't, I have like decent. I don't care. <laughs> like if it's I, if I don't put a new bit in, I don't care. <laughs> I like, prefer to have a seven out of ten gig with new than have a ten out of ten gig yeah, with old. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah and obviously, I don't want to die in my ass. But I no. found it hard, and then when I found it harder to write new stuff, um, I stopped enjoying it, and it was really weird. And then I got—I yeah. was lucky enough to be offered other stuff, so I started mm-hmm. doing that. And then it kind of takes you in a different direction. So it's weird. It's weird. It's, it's something I never thought I'd quit. And I haven't quit entirely. But um, and the other thing with podcasting, 
when I first started doing stand-up, podcasts, they probably did exist, but I certainly didn't listen to them. Yeah. So now I'm, it's, it was never my childhood ambition because <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not five. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a funny old position to be, but I think as long as you're involved in comedy in some way that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy. Yeah. As long as you're still not having a real job. And oh yeah. You're making people, bring people joy. Like your dad did to you, your childhood friends. Okay, I segued that back like a professional. That was parents. really good. Yeah. That was um, before, good. mate, this has been great. It's been it's been a bit a bit about everything, which has been great. Um, before we wrap up, a couple of little things. Um, your parents seem like they're together. I assume. By yes. The way. I kind of took that. <clears throat> this, this seemed just very lovely. They seem like just the sweetest. I want to meet them. I want to meet their friends. I want to meet my uh, my mum. This is <laughs> this is lovely, right? I think Joel Domit's mum is a bit like this, and Joel Lysett's mum is a bit like this. But um, my mum came to Edinburgh. My mum and dad came to Edinburgh in 2009, which was yeah. the first solo show I did, just to support me. No, it wasn't 2009. It was when I did the co- uh, um, a package show with oh, yeah. lots of comics called Comedy Zone. They came up that year, and they went to see my friends, and then they went home. But they had a brilliant time, my mum especially. And then in 2009, when I was doing a solo show, she saw all of the same people she'd seen the year before doing different stuff. But I ventured out and saw a few more things. And 2010 came back. And now my mum has got the most esoteric, eclectic <laughs> taste in comedy. Because it. now she'll go to Edinburgh for a week and she'll watch, it's like eight shows a day. Amazing. And so sort of mainstream stand-up that you see on telly on a Saturday night doesn't interest her. She knows what all the tricks are. Oh, lovely. So she's interested in some weird sketch group. <laughs> That's quality. Just because it's different. <laughs> and my mum would honestly watch she would watch a gig a night That's she, great. she gets the brochure out and she's she's got her favourite comedians and she'd never ever been to comedy before she came to see me do it and now it's one of her main interests that's great so that's I was, a I was gift lucky to have that. given to your mother I think yeah yeah, I'd never not thought of it like that but I can't pretend that I had a like a hard life. I was my mum and dad. No, you'd be, it'd, be, it'd be great content if you could, but that'd be good. <laughs> and I've had a go at them for that. I've said, you yeah. know, Guys, thanks, ma'am. I would be the greatest comedian. Thanks for being so bloody supportive, ma'am. I'd be, I'd be the greatest comedian of all time if yeah. you were more of an arsehole to me. <laughs> um, well, I mean, what we'd like to end up is just if they're, li- would your mum and dad listen to something like this? My mum certainly will, yeah. Oh, lovely. So you want to say something to your mum? You'd be very sweet, so you can sort oh, of direct, directly say you something. Thank you for everything. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, God, I've become quite emotional. Yeah, and thanks for not giving me a more messed up childhood, mum. Yeah. <laughs> tell, your dad, t- tell your dad how much you're getting paid for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Mr. James. Um, it's an IOU. <laughs> It's an IOU, yeah. It's a gift. It's the gift of. Uh, it's the gift of having a good time with an old friend. Is what he's yeah. getting paid with. That's what you um, texted me. I thought, yeah, fine, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I was very honest. I was just like, I, I honest, that's one of the things I hate. Just like just asking people you like, and like, do you want to just sort of? Can you do me a favour? Is essentially what it is. Uh, but hopefully, it's still enjoyable and fun. Um, but before we go, the thing I play this to my dad because I still want to get the the I love yous out, and then maybe afterwards you can forensically analyse whether your dad and mum have actually said I love you to you they must have clear. done they must have done I'm sure they I must think have done my, my mum's definitely said it chuck it out on the phone next time you speak to your dad and see if he says it back that's what I'm going to say it's a little test yes yes alright obviously don't like just don't ring him up and say I love you with nothing do you know what he said last time I saw him 
uh, my dad's from a like a rugby mad village. Mm-hmm. So it's a tiny little village and it's produced loads of like top Welsh internationals and British Lions. And they tended to play for Llanelli with a big club in the area. If, even if they start off for his village team, but his village played in a sort of in the West Wales Challenge Cup in 1972 and it was televised. And I found the footage of it on YouTube. And we watched that together and it was the first 15 were people he'd either been at school with or people he'd worked with or people his dad worked with. Yeah. And we watched it, it was pretty, because it was commentated on by the by the big BBC Wales commentator at the time. And obviously he didn't realise this was on the internet or that it had been televised at the time. And when we watched it at the end, he said, I do love your visits. Oh. So, yeah, yeah, he must have, you know, so that's, yeah, I, I, I know how he feels. You know how he feels. Um, well, what we like to do is get guests to just say to my dad, to John Martin, can you, anything you want to say to him that might help him just sort of... To John Martin... You know, I, I don't know if you love me, but God, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> you said I've met your father you once. I met him. Uh, at oh, your you remember wedding. him, do you? Was that an edit uh, at where? It was at your wedding. Oh, the wedding party in London. The wedding yes. party yeah, in the club. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh God, yeah, he would have been hammered as well. So yeah, and I told him then. I said I love you. Um, <laughs> put my arm around him. I love you. Uh, so now I'm saying it again. <laughs> Good. Dad, Ellis has said I love you to you, so you can at least say it back to me. Thank you. There we go. Mate, this has been great. Before we wrap up, do you want to, you should plug plug your podcast. It's, I mean, it's great. Sure. So. Okay. I do a radio show with uh, our friend John Robbins um, every Friday on Five Live between 1 and 3 p.m. So he has James and John Robbins show. And I do a podcast called The Saucy Distance Sports Bar with my friends Mike Bubbins and Steph Guerrero, where we try and talk sport but we tend not to very much. So if you don't like sport, it doesn't matter. It's I am. Um, I listen to sleep about sport. No, I listened to some of it the other day and I was like, uh, you start talking about Kimbo slice. And I was like, yes, <laughs> this is the podcast for me. Rest in peace, he, Kimbo that, slice. He's, he's passed guy. away now. Hasn't he? Wow. Yeah. It was a real, if you, like, if you like, if you like people, if you like watching people fight in a back garden, Kimbo slice is, is a, is a great person to search for on YouTube. You know, because you talk about a sports documentary, didn't you? I actually, um, I watched this Oscar-winning American football sports documentary um, uh, ages ago, and I ended up interviewing a couple of people. For, I've forgotten what it was called, but I, yeah, just sports docs, mate. Who doesn't, who doesn't? Who was oh. it? It was a stand-up the other day, my, my uh, a gig I was at, who was talking about how she hates sport, but loves sports documentaries, which is a funny, it's a funny place to be. This, oh, anyway, we, we, I, we're going to, I can just, I can see in your, we're going to end up talking for 25 minutes here. About, I can see yeah, here. I've got a lot to offer on this subject. We, if you like sports documentaries or just like Ellis or like sport, please listen to his podcast. It's amazing. Ellis, I love you. Thank you for doing this. I love you too. Thank you. A podcast from producer Paul.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.